For those of you in this room uh, who are like new typical Williamson County, which means you just moved from California, um, if you're trying to place the accent, it's East Tennessee. You don't get a lot of that around here. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, I am a big fan of a couple of things. Number one, I'm a big fan of Scripture and how it will lead our lives. Number two, I'm a real fan of being honest. So on the front end of where we're going today, I'm going to share with you. I'm going to give you the outline. I'm going to give you the roadmap. Uh, I, I don't believe in manipulation from this uh, stage. I don't believe the pulpit is a place for that. I believe God's word never returns void. So as we start there today, here's what I want to say. I think a lot of you in this room are just like me. You grew up in church. You've been a part of church. Uh, some of you have my testimony that you went to church nine months before you were born. <laughs> but in that moment, I'm going to ask you to do something you may not have done in a long time. And I'm not, I'm, it's not negative towards you, but I need you to hear this. I'm going to ask you before we begin, would you, can we just take just a, 10 seconds and will you reset and ask God, God, is there something for me today? Moms, dads, not your kids. Husbands, not for your wives. Wives, not for your husbands. Kids, not for anybody else. Is there something for me here today? I don't know that we do that enough. So um, we're going to take 10 seconds. Father, would you reset our hearts? Would you tear them up? Would you plow the soil so that it is fertile to hear your word today? You promise your word never returns void. Let this be about you more than anything else in Jesus' name. And so I, um, I enjoy this. I love to be able to have the opportunity to, to share. Um, I'm going to tell you where we're going today, okay? Uh, I'm going to share a little bit about me personally, our ministry that we run in Haiti, very, very short. We're going to dive into Mark chapter 2. And at the end, we're going to end with a passage out of 1 Thessalonians. And, and my prayer and my goal is that you see how God's freedom looks and that you'll do a complete inner look at who you are. And I tell you that on the front end because there's going to be an ask of you at the end of this service. And the ask is going to be, are you free in Christ? Okay, so, and, and some of you right now are gonna kind of kick back a little bit and say, yep, I'm free, I'm good to go. I'm gonna challenge you, are you completely free? Have you thrown off the shackles have you had that burn the ships moment? Have you had the moment that says there is nothing else? Because friends, family here in this room, in this Williamson County area, that is really hard. So just going to call it like it is. And we're going to have a blast going through this, okay? Some of y'all are like, oh, wow, here we are. He's really here. Here we go. All right, so... Um, I do want to say a couple of things. I made some notes here so I wouldn't forget these things. Uh, first off, Alexis, thank you so much. If y'all don't know what you've got in that little bald thing of energy, <laughs> I ha we have, we've known each other for 20 plus years. And when you said there are stories, I swallowed hard. Um, but I've known Alexis so long, he had hair, okay? <laughs> Beautiful hair, enviable hair, okay? But I hope you know what you've got in that, that, that gentleman that leads in here. And, and 
his heart, I have never seen him without that goofy smile on his face. And I call it goofy because I don't understand it, but I think I'm learning it more and more the older I get. It is a smile that can't be seen with human eyes. Pastor Jason, thank you so much for, uh, we had a very religious experience at Hattie B's um, (laughs) over hot chicken and Jesus. And I, I want you to know, we have become friends and I, I am very proud of that fact, but we had, a, we had an opportunity the other day to talk and uh, when we talked and he said, man, I, 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 here's this opportunity. Would you take it? I'm, I'd love to do this. I just, I, I, church, I hope you know this. I hope you know that away from you, your pastor talks about you in a way that is not anything other than God land on this and explode in this room. Not God explode this so we've got 25,000 people waiting to come in the parking lot. God, expand what's happening in this room. That's your hearts that are being constantly toiled or tilled over and the soil made new. If you're not praying for that, I want you to know your pastor is. So let's start out with a question this morning. How are your New Year's resolutions doing? Y'all good? We're what, 21 days in, 22 days in? Y'all still keeping those? I blew mine about four minutes into the new year. I wasn't supposed to drink soda for a while. And I think at 12.04, I had my first Dr. Pepper of the year. Okay. Life's hard sometimes, but uh, today I'm going to stand here and tell you this. I'm I'm coming kind of twofold. I want to get to open God's word, but number two, I'm a guy who's really passionate and loves the country of Haiti. I've, I've worked there. I've lived there. My family moved in 2014. We left Franklin and moved to, uh, Haiti, a little, little village called Nepali in the, the, the city of Laogon. You saw a video of the people that we know and that we love and that we work with. And so as we, we go through this today, I'm going to share a little bit about that. But I would be remiss if I didn't show this next slide and share my family with you. Okay. Now I will tell you on the front end, three of our children are adopted. If you figure that out, don't tell them. They don't know. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, What? I will tell you, this is the last time we had everybody together at the beach, um, and it was two years ago. Uh, that little baby is now a toddler running the show, and we also have uh, a, a three-month-old granddaughter as well, and it's awesome. And for those of you in this room who have kids and your parents look at you and say, I love grandparents, I think I figured it out. It's not that they love them more than you, it's that they love them because of you. Whether you can see it or not, when your toddler's screaming and you're just like, mom, come over, please. I'm going to throw something through a wall. Your mom walks in and she's the most patient, kind, loving. Your dad walks in. He's like, hey, what do you want, buddy? Let's go do something. You weren't like that with me. You're right. (laughs) But God grows us over the years. And we look at those children and we see our children in the areas where we messed up and the areas we weren't completely sold out. So this is our family. You will notice our son, Lane. Uh, He's sitting in a chair in that picture. He's sitting right over here in a wheelchair. Uh, Lane is um, our son. Uh, A lot of our story revolves around him. It's the way we got to Haiti, believe it or not. Uh, Lane uh, was born out of a 40-week pregnancy. He was born at 23 weeks and five days gestationally. Pound and four ounces, had a grade four intraventricular hemorrhage, which is a fancy word for a stroke. Uh, Over the four and a half months he was in the hospital, he went blind. He does not walk, does not talk, but he is filled with joy, and I dare you to tell me he's not. Now, he may get sick of my voice today and start making some noise, and Missy may take him out, but um, I just want you to know. So 
Our whole ministry is called My Life Speaks because of that young man who's 25 years old. It's led us into the country of Haiti to do some amazing things. My wife in this picture, she's the one looking at me or standing beside me holding me up because I'm so old. Uh, we will celebrate 30 years of marriage this year. And I'm telling you, if you think it's uh, been blissful, it has for me. It has not always been for her. Can you imagine being married to this? Okay, that's, that's all I want to say. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to share a little bit real quick about Haiti with you. Tell you some, uh, share a couple of these things. If we put that next slide up. There's a verse on this picture. This is a painting of our ministry center in Haiti. It's an old church that we rent. There's a verse out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, and it says this. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. When we read that passage about 13 years ago, we knew that when we, when we finally got this ministry up and going off the ground, that it was going to be something completely different because it was going to be us living life alongside people in Haiti and giving away everything that we know. Uh, if you're wondering where that comes from, there's a passage in Matthew where Jesus says, tell them everything you know. Well, that's all we can do. And so this is, this is what we do in Haiti. And so because I am from Haiti, not really, I'm not from Haiti, I'm, I'm from East Tennessee, as you can tell, but uh, because Haiti is a part of us, I'm going to teach you two words real quick. So it's that, oh, if you're old enough in the room to remember the missionary with the slides and the clicker, here's my missionary slide and clicker moment, okay? I'm going to teach you two words. When you say hello to someone in Haiti, you say the word bonjour. Everybody say that. Bonjour. Don't put the R on it. It's not French. It's more uh, kind of relaxed. It's like East Tennessee Creole. Bonjour. The second thing is when you want to show somebody you're really from Haiti, you look at them and you say, what's up? And the way you say what's up is sac passe, sac passe. All right, you ready? We're going to try that first one. When you greet somebody, you say hello. When you say what's up, you say sac passe. Now, the reason I tell you that is that is a part of our culture, a part of our lives. Those things come out. It's not who I was before. God gave me the opportunity to be exposed to things that changed who I was, how I talked, what I did, the things I cared about. That's what the gospel does for us. It wrecks our normal life. And so if you look at the next slide, I want you to know the mission of our, our organization. Our mission is very simple. We are fighting for families by building Christ-centered communities. You can't change the lives of certain people until you change the lives of the community. And the community doesn't need to change to just look like a representation of another place anywhere else. It needs to look like Jesus. So we put Jesus in the center in everything we do. And I'm gonna show you that on the next slide. Go ahead and put it up there if you don't mind. Focuses on these three things, families, education, public health. We provide families for kids who've been orphaned or abandoned, special needs typically developing, it does not matter. We have had, since we started 12 years ago, 29 children come, through our, come to our doors and be placed in families. And you may say, that's not a lot. We started it from the ground up. Haiti does not have a foster care system. We created it, we've tried to give it away. It doesn't work. They give it back to us because they can't afford it. Now, can you imagine the government looking at a small nonprofit based out of Spring Hill, Tennessee and saying, hey, it's too expensive for us, you figure it out. That's exactly what happens. So we have 20, we've had 29 children placed in families. The beautiful part about that though is we have hundreds of children who stayed with their mom and their dad. 
They weren't given away to an orphanage. They weren't relinquished to somebody else to take advantage of them. Education grew out of that opportunity, that desire to see a Christ-centered community. We have a Christ-centered education. That's first and foremost of everything we do. We have an integrated education, which means special needs kids with disabilities can go to school with their general education peers. To our knowledge, we are the only school like it in our region and very possibly the country because Jesus sits in the middle. And then public health, we will do, if you're a public health person in this room, I am slaughtering this definition. We will do whatever we can to get and keep people healthy. If we have 400 people come through our physical occupational therapy center every month, or we have 500 people come through our little clinic every month, whatever we do, every treatment that we give starts with the most important treatment of all, hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we have the opportunity to pray. Now, that'll start, that'll start your therapy visit off a little different. Now, it's not that thing if somebody comes in with an emergency that we, uh, maybe a broken leg, we're like, hey, let's talk to you. Let's pray for you. Is everything? No, we, we work on those things, but everything we do is physically to get to the spiritual because we believe that is the only hope for the world. Now, I'm going to show you, I'm going to put this next slide up here. I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot. If you go on your uh, Google machine and you, ask, you type Haiti in there, you're going to see all kinds of headlines just like this. This is a little microcosm of headlines from the last six or uh, eight weeks, okay? These are things that are happening on a regular basis. Now, if you'll go ahead and slide it over to that next one, though, I want to promise you this and tell you this because you've been a part of this, whether you know it or not. Clearview has been a, a ministry partner with My Life Speaks for the last seven years, Oh, eight years, excuse me. You have helped us take children, place them in homes. You have helped us feed those children, clothe those children, take care of those children. You have helped us open into a new world. I saw Robin, uh, Rod and Robin Harry sitting right over here. Our whole therapy st department started because their daughter came in and said, we can do this a whole lot better. You've been a part of that church. When Paul writes back, when he writes a letter back to the Thessalonians and he says, hey, I'm really excited because I'm hearing all these great things that you're doing. That's what I'm doing right here. I'm standing up as a personal representation to say, this is what you're doing on the globe, global scale. Thank you. Ministry continues every single day. Mike and Missy aren't there. None of our Americans are there anymore. It's happening because people have heard the gospel and they believe it and they're willing to be a part of what it says. I get a little excited about those things. So, so let's roll to the next one. We're gonna, today's message is gonna come from Mark chapter two, uh, verses one through 12. Thank you so much, ladies, for sharing that this morning. Thank you for reading that. I'm a big fan of, I need to give you some context of where we are so you get the setting right, okay? Because what we do or what I do a lot of times is I read a passage like this through 2024 lens. I read that and I say, oh, okay, well, this is what happened and I understand it. Believe it or not, the Bible was not written in English. They didn't speak English in Jesus's day. It has a, a, a contextual meaning that we don't always understand. So for those of you who've watched The Chosen, you know, we're, we're, you're looking at things through that lens a lot of times. You can't see Jesus and not see the guy that plays him on The Chosen. I do the same thing. It's kind of scary to me. But I want you to understand as we talk about this this morning, the, the context of 
the book of Mark. Let's start there. It was written by a disciple, a guy, a guy named Mark, also known as Joan Mark. John Mark, not Joan of Arc. John Mark. John Mark was a contemporary with a guy named Simon Peter. They, were, uh, they, they traveled together, did some things together, worked together a little bit. One of the things I love about the book of Mark is it is written to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, to help them understand more of the Jewish culture. It's a beautiful thing. It's one of the earliest accounts of Jesus's life and ministry. It was probably written about 60 AD. This is 60 years after Jesus was born. 30-ish years after he had died. This is a first-hand account telling of the things that have happened. And as we go into Mark chapter 2, there's some things we got to know. The setting is Jesus is in Capernaum. It's a very vibrant fishing village. It's a crossroads. There's a lot of things going on. He's teaching in a house. The culture was predominantly Jewish. Uh, the, The leaders were the Jewish religious leaders in that day. The authority of the religious leaders was seen as paramount. You do not question them. Jesus comes in and he teaches from a completely different standard. It messed things up. So as we talk about being set free, I want to tell you, my prayer is that you understand that true freedom in Christ today. And even if you are the oldest person in the room, you are the youngest person in the room, you've never been here or you were here the day that the basketball court was put in place. My prayer is that there is something in you that leads you closer to Jesus Christ today. That's what this is about. And so this is not about being set free from simple traditions and rules of the past. I grew up in a very very East Tennessee Southern Baptist church, kind of stuck in the 1950s and never went forward. I will, I will share this live, or this, live share, this, uh, this video with my dad. The first thing he will say to me is, you should have tucked your shirt in, okay? It's, it's that kind of thing. And I can say, well, dad, I've been set free from that. That's not where we're going, okay? Now, some of you in this room are wearing things that you never would have thought you would have worn to church, okay? Let's be honest. I'll be honest. I never would have thought I would have the opportunity to stand on stage in little white tennis shoes, an untucked shirt. This is beautiful to me. I, I, I used to speak a lot in very small churches and they, they would say, hey, you need to have a tie. And I would reach in my pocket and I would pull out the tie and I would sit it on the pulpit and I would say, there you go, you got your tie. And it's not a tie kind of guy. But anyway, in Joel chapter two, you can, you can look at this later, you may wanna jot it down. Joel chapter two, verses 12 and 13, the, the, the prophet Joel says, God says, return to me, give me your heart, don't give me your garments. In other words, don't show an outward sign of repentance, let it be real. So this is what being free looks like. So we're gonna hit this again, I'm gonna go through these verses a few at a time, they'll be on the screen for you. Uh, And and I'm just gonna walk through here and and talk to you about these things. Mark chapter two, uh, verses one and two. A few days later, when Jesus again, I'm reading from the NIV, I need to tell you that. When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered outside, or so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Mark chapter one ends with Jesus healing a ton of people. That's a literal measurement, okay? 
he healed a lot of people. The last thing he does in Mark chapter one, he heals a man with leprosy. He touched the untouchable. He told this man once he was healed, go to the priest, show him what's happened, but don't tell anybody. And this man did the exact opposite of what Jesus told him to do. And he told everyone. Hey guys, real quick. When Jesus does something, I don't think we can not tell people. Now, let me just give you a little real world example. My wife and I, some of you may not agree with this. That's okay. We cheer for the University of Alabama at football. Go ahead and boo. I don't care. (laughs) Roll Tide, bless your heart. See? As soon as Nick Saban retired, bam, 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 bam. Our family group chat has a special Alabama fans subset so my daughter-in-law doesn't get angry. She's from Southern California. She's weird. No offense to those of you from Southern California. A little bit, maybe. We talked about it. We dissected it. We're asking all these questions. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? I heard someone. Oh, Dan Mulling's coming. No, that's not happening. There were thoughts, and, and we couldn't stop talking about it. Can you imagine when Jesus does something in our life, and we go, yay. When's the last time you blew up somebody's phone because you read something that morning or that afternoon or that evening and said, I gotta tell you what I just read in the Bible. I've read this so many times. I just read it for the first time. Oh my goodness, this is awesome. I don't wanna look weird. If I'm stepping on your toes, uh, maybe you wanna bring some boots next week. So it's very possible Jesus is teaching in a home of a guy named Simon Peter. In in chapter one, verse 29, it says that he went to the house of Simon Peter. So we don't know that this is where he is. I love thinking that this story occurs in that house and we'll talk about it in just a second. What do you know about Simon Peter? I mean, those of you who've watched The Chosen, you can see him right now. He's kind of got a little air to him. He's kind of got some muscles on him. He's the guy that when Jesus was being arrested, he chopped off the ear. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So, Peter was probably running patrol around this house, if this is his home. And there are so many people in there hearing Jesus teach that they literally, it is packed wall to wall. Let's go to the next verse, verse three. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, They made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. Can you imagine this scene? They've shown up. There's a paralyzed man. These four guys have heard that Jesus is teaching and we're gonna say it's Peter's house. I can't say that it's for sure. Can't say that it's for not sure. So we're gonna say that. They're They're going to Simon Peter's house and they look and there's their friend that's been on that corner forever and they say, hey, we're gonna go see Jesus. You wanna go with us? He may have said no. But what's he going to do? He's paralyzed. So they grab him. I imagine they had a blanket. They each grabbed a corner and they started walking. He may have been upset. It didn't matter. They're taking him to Jesus. That's how important this moment is. Or he may have said, hey, you guys, where are you going? You're going to go hear that Jesus guy talk? I want to go. No matter what, they did it. They got there. 
There's no way inside. Man, can you imagine that? When I go anywhere, if there's a line or a crowd, I want to leave. No, I don't want to go downtown Nashville ever. I don't want to pay $250 to park. You're laughing because some of you have, have realized it's, a lot, it's expensive. But he go, they go there, it's blocked, and they said, we're going to find another way. The houses in those days probably had outdoor staircases that led to the roof. They got to the top of the roof and they started pulling things apart. Or again, remember, this is possibly Simon Peter's house. Can you imagine what he's doing in this moment? Let's go to the next verse. Look at this. I love, this is one of my favorite passages, verses ever. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. He saw their faith. He saw their determination. He saw their compassion for their friend. And as this man is being lowered in front of Jesus, there has to be a moment when he's eye level with Jesus. And when he gets to the bottom, I imagine Jesus looks up and there are four faces pressed in this hole and they're looking down with anticipation. Read that passage. When Jesus saw whose faith? You ever read that part before? The faith of these men led Jesus to make the next statement. Son, your sins are forgiven. Ladies and gentlemen, everything else to the side, that's what freedom looks like. The burden of his sinful life is now gone. He has stood in front of the son of God, God himself in flesh on earth. And he says, your sins are forgiven. That is the ultimate freedom. So if you're in this room and you don't understand that freedom, that is the freedom we talk about. Don't look at other people in here for that freedom because a lot of people have tasted a little bit of it, but then they licked a lemon and their face shows it. The only way we can find that freedom is in Christ and constantly in him and constantly in him. It's not a human freedom. It's a freedom that walks into the pit of hell, removes the sin from our lives and says, no, they're mine. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Let's go to the next verse. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive God? Who can forgive sins but God alone? I'm kind of imagining in my head the thoughts that are going on in, inside their heads of, I wouldn't have done it that way. Can you believe that? Who is this guy? What is he? Does he not know the rules? You can't do this. This is wrong. But it says Jesus knew what they were thinking. Let's go to the next one. It says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? He didn't even say, why are you saying this? He said, why are you thinking this? They're not talking out loud. They're thinking it in their hearts. Has Jesus ever said that to you? And you've told him, hey, just hush up until it's done. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. What he's saying in this moment is, when I say your sins are forgiven, nobody else in this room knows if I did anything or not. But if I say to him, get up, take your mat and walk, then everybody knows something's going on. 
But in this moment, it's not about all the people. It's about the man. It's about the paralytic whose sins have been forgiven. I would love to have been in that room just to see his face. But I really don't think anybody's looking at him at this moment. I think they're all turned to Jesus because the moment he says, what do you want me to do? Or which is easier? Let's look at what happens in the next verse. But that you may know that the son of man has authority, keyword, on earth to forgive sins. And then we have dot, dot, dot. I think John Mark may have like broke his pencil lead at that point. And he's like, I don't have enough time to, that's the things I want to know about. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, and this is so you, got to get this setting, so you can see what's happening, what's changed in this man's life. So you can see that I have all this authority. He says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Now look at what the paralytic did. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. Hold on. He couldn't get in because there was no room. Now it says he walked out in full view of them all. Think about that for a second. There's no room. There's a lot of room. Can you imagine when this man stands up and he starts to walk? I can only imagine the most religious people in the room are like, unclean, unclean, hadn't had a shower, hadn't had a ceremonial wash. Oh, oh, can't touch him. And he walks out in full view of them all. And I love this. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. And they, this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. In the original Greek, that is duh. Okay. I mean, what else do you say at that moment? We've never seen anything like this. No, this is God. And he showed up in a crowded house. And he showed up to a group of people that didn't believe because we know what they're thinking. And he showed up and a group of people did believe. Do you see what's happening here? I want to end with this passage right here. You, 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 may, uh, you may have to look it up. It's not going to be on your screens, but I'm going to share with you. I told you I was going to come back and bring this back to Haiti for you just for a second. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. I'm going to read this to you and we'll stop at one verse, verse 9. This is Paul writing back to the church at Thessalonica, and he says this, We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father the, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Verse 5, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, boom, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Paul is reminding people, guys, this is why we did what we did. The report I'm getting is that you got it and you're doing it and I'm so proud of you. Verse six, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Your faith has been known everywhere. These four guys, their faith is known 2024 in Franklin, in a gym that's a worship center, at a cool church. And guess what? We don't even know their names. 
They don't have monuments anywhere. I'd love to build monuments to these four guys because I've given them names. Leroy, Stinky, Bubba, and Earl. Because they got to be rednecks. I mean, you can imagine, there's a Bubba in every room, right? Can you imagine? They just grab this guy and they're like, you're going, man, whether you want to or not. I want to go. <laughs> you're going anyway. The end of verse eight says, therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. Verse nine, this, if you don't hear anything else I, I've said, go back in your head to that, that picture I put up of the headlines from Haiti and all the bad things and all the negatives. Verse nine, this is what we are about. Church, this is what you're helping us do. And church, this is what I want you to experience yourself. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. Verse, here it is. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us. Church, here's what I want you to know. When I tell you the story of people who've given their hearts and uh, to Christ in Haiti. I want you to know the people in our village, there's not a single person I know that has not had a personal intimate experience with voodoo in their life. And it's not voodoo like Princess and the Frog Disney kind of version. It's voodoo where people truly commit their lives to trust an evil spirit to tell them what to do. And let me tell you something, anytime you ask anything, anyone, any person other than Jesus to give you that direction, they're gonna lead you away. And these people in our community are good people and they've done good things. But without Christ, they're just good people doing good things and they're never gonna be set free. And when they are set free and they walk away from a life that has been tainted and influenced by voodoo, it many times means they leave a family because grandma is the voodoo priestess or grandpa is the one who makes sure things are taken care of. We have an intimate relationship with the voodoo priest in our community. Some of y'all are surprised to hear that. His name is Cassius. If you've got a pen, you've got a paper, you're going to write something down, you write the name Cassius down. Every time I speak and get the chance to talk about this, I ask people to do this. Write down the name Cassius and please pray for him because here's the thing. We were walking through the village one day and Missy was, and I were walking and we went by the voodoo temple and Cassius was outside and we started talking to him and, and he said, you people, talking about us Americans, he said, you people are different. You're different from all the other white people. No offense, but that's what they call us, okay? They, you're different from all the other white people. You don't wanna come in and see my service to see what happens. And, and we just both shared, we don't believe that that is what God wants us to do. We don't wanna be involved in that. We don't wanna open our lives or our hearts up to anything like that. And this man looked at us and he said this. He said, I keep hearing you talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. But if you come into my temple, I'll show you the work of all these spirits. I want you to show me the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, let me tell you something. Full disclosure. I'm a Southern Baptist. We don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in my house growing up was like Cousin Eddie on Christmas vacation. <laughs> You're glad he's there, but you definitely don't want him to come inside. And when we had that conversation, my wife and I went through, the, through all of Scripture trying to find places where the Holy Spirit intermingled. It starts in the beginning when the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. And it goes all the way through. So Missy looked at Cassius and she said, Cassius, I love you. I'm going to pray for you. And he said, please don't. He said, because if you pray for me and Jesus shows up, then I've lost everything. 
Church, I want to tell you, that's what I'm afraid so many people believe today. If Jesus shows up, I've lost everything. So if you write Cassius' name down, I'm just going to beg you, please pray for him. Pray for the Holy Spirit to come and wreck his life. His brother became a believer. And when his brother was on his deathbed, he looked at Missy and he said, you cannot stop. You got to go to my brother. So we do. Are you Cassius in this moment? Jesus, I don't want to lose everything. I don't want to lose my personality. I don't want to lose my, my abilities. I don't want to lose my wealth. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose this or that. All I can say is I'm begging you to understand what it means to be set free. It's not to be set free from what you wear to church on Sundays. It's being set free from the thing that is a blockage between you and God. If you've never experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's called sin and it blockades you from him. It drags you away from him. But if you're in this room and you know what that freedom looks like, but you sit here today and you're like, I am not free in this moment. I am consumed with X, Y, or Z worries, anxiety, fear, topple us as Christians. You know, it means a lot to us that you would come here today and be a part of who we are. It, it really does matter to us more than you might realize. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power we have to influence people. You know, if you would look around your world, you'd be amazed at how many people would receive what you have to say to them. You could be a digital missionary. You don't have to post everything on Facebook or we're not asking you to go on your favorite social platform, but I would challenge you to look around your world. I guarantee you might have a friend, even in a different state or another part of the world, something was said today, whether a sermon, a prayer, a song, something was said that could mean a lot to them, man, send it to them. You'd be amazed at how much of a difference that could make.